0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr nazanin moali this is sexology podcast and i'm your host dr nazanin moali i wanted to welcome all of our Neil listeners during past month our community grew significantly and I would love to hear your feedback and comment and what's going on and what are you finding helpful in social media you can find me at Twitter it's my handles at Oasis Two care which is the name of my private practice and you can find me in Facebook as well and please drop a line and let me know what you want to learn more about and if you tried anything it was helpful Helpful. today we're gonna talk about the psychology behind celibacy I am super excited about this topic I get a chance to interview a seasoned psychologist who's been working with religious organization to help people who are interested to become priests to assess and evaluate their uh, interests and their commitment to celibacy. So we're going to talk about what happens to men who can't have sex. We're going to talk about life without sex. And if you you have a curious mind like me, I think you're going to really enjoy this podcast. And at the end, we're going to talk about how, uh, what are some of the unintended consequences of not being sexual? Because as you know, many of us heard about all the sexual abuses that going on in different religious organizations. And you can wonder, you can, it's hard to kind of not think about whether it's related to celibacy or not. So I'm super excited to have our expert, Dr. Carmen Roman, to talk about it. Dr. Roman is a psychologist. She has a PhD in psychology from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. She has certification in creative expression and art therapy. She has a master's degree in Gestalt therapy from Intergro in Mexico. She's a bilingual Spanish and English bicultural expert and she's currently has a private practice in San Jose, California. Dr. Carmen practices yoga, meditation, hiking for fun and health. She's mostly spending time with her lovely husband, playing with her cats, cooking, traveling, or hosting gathering when she's not at work. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Carmen Roman. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to have Dr. Carmen Roman with us today. Dr. Roman, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on, and I know you have number of different experiences, and I am so excited to hear your input about the topic today. So before we're going to explore the topic further on celibacy, I want us to learn a little
1: bit more about your practice. What are your area of focus? Well, I focus mainly in the Latino community, and that is I cannot afford to focus on one topic right now because there is so much need for a Spanish-speaking therapies that I take uh, couples, everything that is adults, couples, families, adults, individuals, and group therapy. But most of my life of my career, I have been focusing on sexual abuse.
0: Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I know before the recording and a few days ago, you shared with me about your experience with providing assessment and evaluation for celibacy. Do you mind tell our lesson a little bit about the workshop you had and assessment that you were conducting to see if people are, like if celibacy is a good fit for people and what did that workshop entail?
1: That workshop, I have been doing this workshop for the last 15 years and is only for seminaries, novices. That are going to take their vote on celibacy. And uh, it's a very specific, very, very narrow. (laughs) Yeah. But what happened is that there is a religious organization in Mexico that invited me. They put together the, let's say, the cohort for that year. And then I fly down to Mexico to uh, have like um, five intense days' workshop. We work from 8 in the morning to 11 in the night for five days. And I am um, co-hosting the workshop with one of priests and psychologists in Mexico. That is so
0: fascinating. So tell us a little bit about the topics you explore with them. I know your gestalt therapy, maybe some of the experiential activities that you offer in that workshop.
1: We offer, we we separate into two parts. We talk about a lot, about self-esteem. Because when we start working about self-esteem, we start working about what parts of sexuality, of their sexuality don't work. So we start by self-esteem, and then we um, explain to them what is sexuality in the point of view of psychology, what areas we are going to be working, like uh, the social aspect, the spiritual aspect, the physical aspect. And then uh, we work with them on some traumas, some sexual traumas they may have. The whole point of the workshop uh, for me is that they have a mindful decision about celibacy because they, it's a decision for life in their case. So uh, we want to work on them to cho- they they choosing the correct decision for them. Yeah. So I am not invested whether they are choosing being celibate or not. I am just invested in their mindful decision.
0: I love that because before our conversation, I didn't know that there are some evaluation and a process encouraging people to make the decision because I feel this is such an important decision and it's important for people to
1: be intentional about it. Yes, to be very mindful, very intentional and to work around what are the, you know, the grief. That comes with it because they will give up in their sexual, uh, physical, sexual life. And then we also explore how now the new sexuality looks like because it's not that they are giving up their sexuality, it's that they are living it differently.
0: Interestingly, how different?
1: Uh, Different in the sense that they will not be physical, that they are giving up on their sexual intercourse with somebody. But we all all our you are sexologists know that we are sexual we our sexuality is everything yeah so we still relate to people in we are still male or female we are still we have set of values etc so what I work with them is you are not giving up in your sexuality you are just giving up this, the physical part so you can do a lot of beautiful uh, relationships that doesn't involve sexual contact.
0: Yeah. And I'm so glad you highlighted that because that was one of the questions I, I, I always had was that it's not, I feel not possible to say like, you know, from this day on, I decide not to be a sexual human being. So from what I'm hearing, it sounds like it's more about being kind of like you make the decision, not act on it in a relationship, but it's not like you're absolutely
1: removing that part of yourself. Yes, no, definitely, we want, we want them to be aware of that because, and we want them to be aware of that because then we can talk about being safe and not imposing some sexual pressure unintended, unintended sexual pressure in somebody that may come across as, you know, harassment or sexual abuse or spiritual abuse. So we want them to be very aware of their sexuality.
0: Very interesting. The other thing you mentioned was about kind of exploring the sexual abuse. Unfortunately, this is very common. Many people experience that. And do you notice that like people who decide to uh, to be celibate had more or less sexual abuse or it's not necessarily any different?
1: I have 25 years working with sexual abuse and I, I will say that a uh, less percentage comes from victims of some priest or somebody in the, in the field of religion. It, it is the same. I always say it's the same. If I have a child, if I have somebody that I want to protect from sexual abuse, I will be as careful as if, if it is with my family member or it is with a priest or with a religious person. It's, I don't think so. It's any different.
0: Okay, and thank you for that clarification because that was something that always I was kind of curious about. The other thing is, so you said this is a process, they go through this intensive uh, workshops. And what would happen if throughout this therapeutic work they discover that celibacy is not for them? Do they have a choice at that
1: point? In the, um, this is actually the organization, the religious organization I work for. They have that workshop because they want them to explore freely. So they have clearly the choice of giving up before taking the votes. They take votes of poverty, uh, custody and obedience. So, they, of course, they, it's, not, it's not the only workshop. They have, through the year, they have different workshops to prepare them for that.
0: Okay, and beside the uh, kind of processing the sexual abuse component, what else they get to explore in those workshops?
1: I get to explore feeling the or their unconscious machismo, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, can you tell us tell what machismo is for our listeners that they're not familiar with?
1: Uh, Yes, I guess in the world we are all familiar with, we just don't call it machismo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely we have the same concept in my culture. (laughs) Yes.
1: Uh, Well, what happened is uh, how I describe machismo is this imposing of male values over female values and or, or imposing a male point of view over a female. And what happened is that my work in this workshop is only male. So I have, I spend the entire week with only male, I am the only woman, and my, my co-host is also a male, so we really go into deep conversations about what does it mean to be male around a female, and what is a healthy way of being, and the fact that they are not going to have physical sex doesn't mean that they don't have all of this set of values culturally, and Mexico is uh, you know, known also for their machismo, so we work with them about how how you are doing your machismo or do you have it, you don't have it, because when they are more intellectual, it can be hidden before intellectualism. It can be not, now they know it, now they don't do it in their roots or the, in the very cr- crude way. But uh, we all know, the the people that we work with domestic violence, we know that machismo can be filtered in a very high levels of education as well. So we work on that, like how you can hold your values and then do the service as a priest honoring what a woman is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. Again, I think I love how the process is very intentional, helping them to choose and kind of process who they are and how uh, that might kind of uh, promote or get in the way of providing service?
1: They, I think uh, priests and psychologists, we both share some ethics mm-hmm. about uh, working with very sensitive topics. Because actually, I believe sometimes people will come first to a priest than to a psychologist. Mm-hmm. So my work with them is to prepare them for have this sense of balance uh, that we have as psychologists that we are going to be very near to intimate parts or intimate stories of our clients, or in their case, the people who go to church. So we want them to be very, very aware when they are needy for attention, for sexual attention, so that it doesn't translate into some kind of hanging into the energy of the client or asking something unintended. So unfortunately, it's one week, of course, only, but they are in that particular um, group, they have therapy all the time, so they can go and ask for therapy. So my work is to help them to understand what kind of therapy and what kind of topics.
0: I love that. Again, kind of, it's kind of a starting point for many people, it seems like, to kind of start exploring and see the benefit of psychotherapy. Because I would imagine, I know with many therapists as well, we need to do our own work in order to be present for our clients. I can imagine it's the same for priests as well.
1: Yes, we all do the same, social workers, psychologists, priests, educators. We need to be very aware of our sexuality and also to prevent spiritual abuse, which is in the name of God, doing or make you to do, ask you to do something that is not um, your free will. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And again, this, we are professions have, can be so, have, we can have so much power and that can be dangerous if we're not mindful of those powers and we're not intentional
1: about them. Yes, that's correct. And I have learned a lot because when I start going with them, I went the first time because they called me because in my city in Guadalajara, I was well known for i already have ten years by the time they called me in the field, and I was well known by working with um spiritual well, sexual abuse, yeah, so when I start going with them. I was very naive about what I was getting into <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's um, religion and it's about Jesus Christ and it's about all of this. So I have such an amazing time and such an amazing welcoming by them. At that time, I was 31. Now can you imagine a 21 year old psychologist between this, all of this? <laughs> oh, male. Male. <laughs> yeah, it was just, uh, it helped me to work my own sexuality around it. And it was so beautiful to work with them because then I started developing this sense of spirituality around celibacy. I start really respecting, truly respecting their decision, yeah? Because uh, some of them, they feel they call to be celibate, to stay in the, to serve the way they want to serve commun- the community. Some of them, they really are struggling and they really don't want to be celibate, but they need to be celibate in order to serve in the way right. they want to serve. So I respect all points of views. It's like, it's okay if you are struggling. It's okay if you just want to do it. Yeah. So what I, am lear- what I learned all of these 15 years, and I want to share with you, is how we can learn from that to apply to our normal lives. Is that okay?
0: Absolutely. I think that was, that, that was the next thing that was on my mind. So mm-hmm. it sounds like it's, it's a great fit for that population. But I want to see who might benefit. How can, as you said, impact, would impact our day-to-day lives?
1: Well, what I start um, realizing is that they are not the only group that are celibates. First of all, let's talk a little bit about what is celibacy and what is chastity mm-hmm. and what is sexual abstinence. Yeah, so celibacy only means to be unmarried. It doesn't mean really to not have sex. Oh, I didn't know that. I guess I <laughs> I wasn't clear on that. Okay. I didn't know that either until I started working with them, yeah. So celibacy only refers to the, to the rule about being unmarried because Jesus Christ was living in the time of the Jewish community, yeah, so in the Jewish community was a very, very strong rules about a male going to certain age and they needed to be married. They were forced to get married and to have kids for the sake of proc- procreation. So then Jesus Christ comes as a rebel, I guess, or some new era thing. Yeah. And he says, if, even if you are unmarried or you decide not to get married, my God will love you. My father will love you. So then it comes the celibacy part. It's like, you can be celibate and you can be part of my tribe. Let's put it that way, yeah? Then it comes later on. It was not Jesus Christ who say anything about not having sex. He just said on unmarried. But then some, some other guy, St. Paul, come later and say, no, 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 we want people not to have sex. Yeah? And the reason is, that he has three reasons for that. He say, Because of struggle with power, Mm -hmm. we don't want, um, I can imagine, always around a woman, two guys are going to fight about a woman. (laughs) I can imagine. So you're like, let's take that part out of sex and maybe we'll be less fighting.
0: Very smart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then the relationship between uh, the patriarchal relationship about women. So a man who is married or in a relationship with a woman needs to protect that woman including financially. So we don't want that. Yeah. Mm. And the third part was we want the complete control, economic control of the guy, the church or whatever. So it, it became celibate and not having sex because of that. Yeah.
0: So it, it seems like, you know, it started with something that if you choose not to do that, you're welcome. You can be part of our tribe. But then it seems like years after that, the idea was like, they want, individuals in the religious community to be uh, mindful and be able to present with all people equally. And that's, that's why it was removed as part of, for the people who are in the ser- service, the Purwana provides spiritual service.
1: And through the years, through the centuries, it has been back and forth, back and forth, because what I learned is that actually at the beginning, it was priests, men and women in the Catholic church. Up until the five, sixth century. Oh, wow. So we didn't know that, yeah?
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah,
1: so they were back and forth, and, and they, the women priests were able to do the same as um, male. They were able to, they were ordinate, they do the mass, they do everything, yeah? So then it became very strong the part where, no, we only men, we are going to do this thing. And so the celibacy part came stronger. So celibate only means not married, and they have something that is called, let me take my notes because it's a word that I didn't, I don't use that often. So instead of abstinence, so sexual abstinence, they call it sexual constinence, which means not having sex. Uh That part is purely physical, not having sex. We call it now sexual abstinence. I guess it changed through the centuries, the word. So... Then it becomes another word that is custody, and custody means purity of intentions, so we want a person to have purity of intention in their sexuality, whether they are married or unmarried, so whether they are celibate or not, yeah, so we all have the call to be to be in custody, so if you are if we are married. We want to commit to our partner, we don't want to be unfaithful, blah blah blah, all of this, yeah. Accordingly to the religion. Personally, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but I really don't care. Is is I go by every couple that I have in my session, whether what kind of arrangement they have and whatever works for them. But when I work and to work with this priest, I want to be very mindful and respectful of their of their lineage, let's say that way. Yeah. So they are the ones who are teaching me all of these parts. And all of this to tell you that there is a group of celibates or group of people who are sexual abstinence mm-hmm. that are not religious. So some people say that celibacy re- corresponds only to the religious part and sexual abstinence corresponds to everybody else. But now we know. Now we know that it's not having sex, Yeah.
0: One thing I'm curious about, so if you are, sorry if it Mm -hmm. comes naive, but I'm thinking if, even if you are in a, like you're a priest, if you are in a religious organization and you're not in a relationship, you might experience some sexual arousal as being part of human. So then what you can do with that?
1: How can you release that energy? Well, since I am not, priest I right. can talk freely <laughs> A- and I do freely I, t- I talk very flir- freely in the workshop so since I tell them directly that since I am not priest and I am not to, about to rule anything in your life I suggest I recommend I I give you the prescription of masturbation yeah. That
0: that makes that just may give me a relief. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> because yeah. like, you know, you're a human. Yes. And you're, you're gonna experience some sexual arousal. And if you're not in a relationship and you're not masturbating, I, my fear would be it would kind of play out in other areas of your life.
1: Yeah, of course. So then but what well, this is why we have and the I am co-hosting with a prison psychologist, so he remains silent yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you have the permission to say that but yes. he doesn't okay <laughs> he doesn't yeah and i always tell them just check the rules with your organization but as for me yeah you are free to go <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> yes because we are human beings and we have these desires and i don't know about but i i personally rather have a priest that ha- has masturbation and respect my children than a priest that is limited of any way yeah Absolutely. And mm-hmm. if
0: you are clouded with some sexual like energy for years and years, I think it just it might impact. Again, we all are human. And it's going to yes. impact
1: our work as well. That's, that's, that's true. So, yeah, I prescribe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you do that. <laughs> yes. And I don't know if they do it, but I do it. So I, I found out that there is another group that, of course, the nuns, they also are uh, celibate. But those other groups that are abstinent in their sexuality can be scientists. And the reason is, or somebody who is so passionate about a project that they use so much of their energy that is very little time or energy or desire for a sexual encounter. And that can happen for months and months or years. People who are working for a project that they are, they are being sent to another part of the country or Antarctica or the moon or, you know, something that is isolated. So some people who are scientists, people who travel very often, sometimes they remain abstinent just because it's who they are, just because they get passionate about it. Some people who are, you know what I found out working with domestic violent victims that they become abstinent because they are afraid to be hurt again.
0: Absolutely, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And they become abstinence because they are so afraid to get into another relationship, yeah. And then I found out another group, I don't know in your culture, but in my culture, in the Latino culture, women can remain abstinent or celibate out of obedience to society. Mm-hmm. They, they say, I want to focus on my children, I want to just to be a mom and they put their female part, their sexuality part in the closet and they become abstin- abstinent. And then they suffer all of these consequences that I see in the praise, like they have sexual arousal because it doesn't mean they don't have sexual arousal. Right. They do. Yeah. But they, they don't know what to do with it. Yeah. And they have grief also about their female part, their sexuality. So, and then there is another sector that are people who wait until they are married. They, they practice together celibacy and abstinence. Yeah. So all of this group, my work with them are, is to help them to be aware of their sexual desires and help them to do something that is meaningful for them and take the best decision for them.
0: That is so fantastic. And I think it's so important to be able to explore those things and kind of see where you are with your values and what you want, what what would be the outcome you want. Because, you know, one of the things that in my culture is valued is for people to before marriage. And that's very important. And I grew up in the culture and I saw many people were had like, had this resentment and kind of like, they had this like negative perspective to our sexuality because I feel that was something that they felt it was forced. Yes,
1: yes. And, and and it is. Yeah, sometimes if a person like let's say I'm a woman who is divorced and now I'm going com- to commit to my children and raise my children and I am going to be celibate or abstinent. I will be angry in a couple of years from now, even probably in the first in the be- very first year. I will be angry towards society because I am taking on to these rules. But when they come to therapy and we work on that and like, hey, you you are doing it. Nobody is really going to kill you for right. it. Yeah. So then we work about it. And then they, if they decide to stay abstinent, well, at least they are more happy abstinence. This is my goal.
0: Absolutely. And again, just like being able to kind of process and see you have a choice and why is it important for you to kind of be... Uh, staying away from sexual relationship is important. One question I have, and I know you already touched on it several times, but I, I get it a lot, and I hate to be sound insensitive, but please let me know if it comes up like in a not correct way. But one one thing that many people that's like have in, mind, in their mind, which is related to religion and celibacy they kind of concern, as you said, that, okay, if uh, will practice of celibacy have intended sexual consequences and uh, how these things are related? Because, and I'm going to give you an example from my culture that few months ago, we had this huge news from a guy who was teaching Quran to children that he abused hundreds and hundreds of those children. And and uh, Many people heard the same thing with uh, uh, some of the other religious organizations. So what's your thoughts on that?
1: Well, the, I have been with these topics and these questions for 15 years, so <laughs> nothing will be that I'm insensitive. Glad. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I always, I believe that we are all human beings and we, are, have, we are, have sexuality, we have desires, whether we take the path of serving through God or not. So a component is trust, a component that sometimes it shouldn't be there, yeah? Uh, families trust their children to a person that they don't know. I mean, I, re- I after 15 years, I have so many priests that I love and I really respect because they are very genuine and they, are, they have a lot of integrity about their work, yeah? And I don't know the other ones because they don't get around me, <laughs> yeah? <laughs> because uh, probably we will not get along. But if there is a priest that doesn't have integrity, probably he will show up in other areas of their lives, of their relationship with, with the community. And I really uh, want to urge families or want to invite families to, to not trust, yeah? Because why am I going to trust a person with my child and being alone and whatever, when because only it's talking about God, yeah? So I think it's a, it's a very sensitive issue, yeah? Because we psychologists spend an hour sometimes with a child alone also, yeah? And probably there is less scandals about it, but we also have similar stories in our profession. Absolutely. So as a, as a parent, I want to invite you to take care of your children and always give the benefit of the doubt to everybody. And always teach your child to tell you immediately, yeah? So there is this education component about prevention for sexual abuse. And not because a priest is a priest, uh, it deserves blind trust.
0: I love that, Dr. Roman, because I feel that many people, again, kind of like put their religious leaders on pedestal and they wouldn't even create a space for their children to talk to them about if there is an issue, if there is a red flag and just that
1: can contribute to the issue as well. As a, an expert in sexual abuse, I can tell you many adults that they, their child say something about a priest or a nun or somebody in religious in the religious saying they are touching me or they are doing something. And the parents uh, silent the child and say, "No, no, no, that's not possible because he's, or she is a religious person." Well, that's that's our mistake as as society.
0: Thank you so much for being open to talk about it, bring awareness, because I think having these conversations are very important. Because I feel sometimes when I give presentation about these topics around like different sexual behavior, one of the questions people have is around this topic and sometimes it's important to see that parents have power as well they can kind of be able it's important for them to take a step to make sure that their children is safe as well
1: that's correct yeah and in the community that i work with actually it's an open topic with the priest with the workshop that i provide and most of them agree. It's like we are, we won. Like if somebody tell me that other psychologists is doing sexual abuse in their patients, I will be the first one demanding respect, demanding justice on that, yeah? So yeah, fortunately, it's in every profession.
0: Absolutely. I, I can talk about this for hours, but I've noticed it for the end of our time. It seems like you have lots of great information about various topics, and I bet our listeners would love to get in touch with you. What would be the best way of contacting you?
1: Before I tell you the contact, can I just take two more minutes about the benefits of celibacy? Absolutely. Please, because go ahead. That probably that probably will be important. When a person decides to be celibate, and sometimes the person decides to be celibate to choose a better partner. When they are in the after a divorce or after a bad experience, they want to to take steps they they want to be slow in choosing the next partner and they choose abstinence yeah so i what I see as a benefit is that they have better discernment that they don't get cloudy by having the relationship the sexual contact immediately, so they get to know the person better. This is what I hear the report from them, yeah, they start learning they learn to have a relationship with integrity.
0: Absolutely. I know sometimes attraction Mm -hmm. can cloud our judgment and sometimes we make decisions that might not work out for us in long term. So I can see that as
1: as a potential benefit as well. Yes. I just wanted to clarify that before we say goodbye.
0: Absolutely. And I know Mm -hmm. I wanted our listeners to get a chance to learn about your podcast, which is so fascinating. I haven't heard about any other bilingual podcast so please share share with us your contact information and let us know about your podcast
1: yes you can find me in uh, carmenroman.net it's carmenroman.net and also the podcast the podcast is Emotions in Harmony and you're right it's uh, bilingual I I am loving it I love to do bilingual because I can speak in English or Spanish as I please
0: (laughs) that's wonderful (laughs)
1: Yes, and um, it's very new. It's a new podcast. We have like two months now, but it's going really well.
0: That's excellent. And I yeah. listened to the English one because only I don't speak Spanish,
1: <laughs> and I benefited uh-huh. a lot from the topics. We have um, I ha- actually this is what is happening: that people who only speak English is listening the English, <laughs> and people who only speak Spanish is listening the Spanish, but it's working somehow.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I can at least. Mm-hmm get half of the content.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And it's perfectly fine. So, and we have bilingual people that they enjoy both. So I don't repeat, I don't translate the episodes out of respect of the bilingual people. But I started, I started five months ago with the video casting in Facebook video live video only in Spanish. And then they English-speaking community start saying, what got happened, Carmen? I want to learn, too. I want to do it. So <laughs> Thank you for adding that
0: component.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is what it is. It's, it, it came out of that, out of the need to communicate in both language. Perfect. So I'll make sure we have those information on, in our show
0: notes. And thank you so much for your time and openness to talk about such
1: a sensitive topic. It is. I hope I still have my license after this.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you'll be fine. Okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Roman.
1: Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: one of the benefit of hosting this show for me at least was to understand sexuality and explore it from different clinicians different therapists perspective because we all work with different population for example because of my upbringing i always had a negative attitude and experience towards celibacy and it was very helpful to hear dr roman perspective on that and how some people use it as a way to explore and expand other aspects of their personality anyhow i hope you like this show and please stay in touch i'll talk to you next week thanks for listening to sexology podcast for more great content visit www.sexologypodcast.com